This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. If the Golden Bachelor sounds to you like a single man you win at the end of a video game, you're not alone. But it is, in fact, the new season of the long-running Bachelor franchise in which the Bachelor is a 72-year-old widower named Gary. Because Gary's potential matches are also significantly older than the usual crop, the priorities are a little different. But the weird dates, the awkward conversations, and the fixations on who has kissed whom so far remain. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. And today we're talking about The Golden Bachelor on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com slash AI for people. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teladochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. Joining us today is journalist, writer, and founding member of the Code Switch team, Karen Grigsby-Bates. Welcome back, Karen. Hey, guys. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> we are excited to have you here. So as you know, if you've seen other editions of The Bachelor, the conceit is that an attractive single man is presented with 22 or so single women who are competing for his affection. He gradually narrows them down to one. He proposes to her. They get engaged. And a little bit later, they break up in a statement to Us Weekly, or at least that's how <laughs> it usually turns out. With The Golden Bachelor, they shook things up. This time around, they have centered the show around a 72-year-old widower named Gary Turner, rather than around some young athlete or race car driver or whatever. The women, too, are 60 and older. Many of them have kids. Some of them are widowed. Some of them are divorced. As we record this episode, Gary is down to his final three women, Teresa, 
Leslie, and Faith. The Golden Bachelor is airing now on ABC and streaming on Hulu. I am so curious to hear what you both think about The Golden Bachelor. Karen, are you a Bachelor viewer normally? You know, I wasn't really because I thought it was so exclusionary. It was boring. You know, it was kind of Mm -hmm. like watching Bama Rush or something until Mm -hmm. a few seasons ago when ABC decided to do its first African-American or biracial bachelor, Matt James. Ironically, his mom was in the first roundup of bachelorettes here, uh, Mm -hmm. Patty. But It was so filled with drama and it was, you know, the whole trope of black men, mostly white women, was so freighted that I think it totally overwhelmed what ABC had intended to do, which was correct its previous exclusionary practices. So, Yeah. yeah, I watched, but I wasn't really convinced. But when this came around, when I first heard about The Golden Bachelor, I thought, oh, this is interesting. Maybe they'll get age right or do a better job of it than they did of race. Yeah. Stephen, I think that you and I share Bachelor history, which is that we've watched a bunch of Bachelor, but kind of have dipped in and out a little bit when you combine all of Bachelor and Bachelorette and Bachelor Pad and Bachelor <laughs> in Paradise and all that stuff. Bachelor Pad. I feel like you and I have both kind of dipped in and out. Yeah, and I dipped out, I, I thought, for good. There's always been an issue with The Bachelor where everyone is competing for a prize, and that prize is a person. Mm-hmm, and yeah. if you are not keen on that prize, you know, you're like, first prize, Nick Vile. Second prize, two Nick Viles. <laughs> it's true. It's really true. So, you know, it's it's an interesting social experiment to watch people pumping up this person as if they are the only remaining single available person on Earth and talking about them as if they contain nothing but positive attributes. I just found myself drifting away after a while and having some ethical issues with the show, right, for sure. um, which, you know, we, <laughs> we've already hinted at. We could go into greater detail. Dipping back in for The Golden Bachelor, I was pleasantly surprised to see that they seem to have have addressed a few of the issues that bothered me most about the show. One, these episodes are one hour long. For a long time, The Bachelor, each episode was two excruciating hours long, Uh, about 30 minutes of which was Chris Harrison saying, coming up. It's true. You know, they replaced Chris Harrison with Jesse Palmer, who is a former Bachelor himself. I do prefer Jesse Palmer to Chris Harrison. I noticed watching this season... They do not appear to be drinking all the time. Yep. I noticed the same thing. And that, I think, really changes the feel of the show. This particular group of women were slash are supportive of each other. There's much less focus on kind of bitter rivalry in a way that I enjoyed. And I, especially in the first few episodes of this season, I very much appreciated how centered the conversations are on real things, and particularly how much grief is a factor in these conversations. Now, that doesn't necessarily make for, like, wildly entertaining programming. It's not must-see TV. Yeah, yeah, but but I I found it moving. I, I found, you know, Gary is, is a grieving widower. Several of the women closest to him on this show have experienced a similar loss, and they talk about it in, in moving ways that dig quite a bit deeper. I haven't had a wedding dress on for, gosh, 36 years, and it was when I married the love of my life. Oh, Nancy. No. And I was like, this evokes and brings up so many emotions that we're all good. 
It feels more real than a lot of these things where what do these people necessarily even have to talk about? The most recent episode of this show we've seen, the one in which it's whittled from six to three, it felt much more on rails. It felt much more kind of, you could almost just take the script of a previous season and just have different characters saying the same words with different names and you wouldn't even notice. It's so formulaic. But I do, I like the people more and that's the biggest factor for me. Yeah. I think for me, you know, when they were setting this up, it was like, look, we're going to do this this like really interesting thing and look at love at a different age. And yes, that appeals to me totally. I am over 50 and I am single. I am absolutely curious about that. But really, the upside to this kind of tweaked format to me is it's less gross for all the reasons <laughs> that you just talked about, especially the the alcohol, which to me became at some point the single biggest ethical problem mm-hmm. I had with this show and that I have with some other shows. One thing that you and I have often talked about which, with The Bachelor, Stephen, is people talking like, this is my last chance ever to find love and I'm 24. <laughs> and you'll just be like, it's it's really not. like Relax. <laughs> and those kinds of things can be very silly to me. And in a way, somebody who is 65 has a better reason to say, like, I'm really eager to find somebody. And yet at some level... I think for most of them, they're a little bit more in control of their emotions. And when I do sense emotional fragility, I think it comes from life and not from television. There's one woman who realized she really wasn't ready. She was still, you know, going through grief about the death of her husband. There's another woman who said, I don't think he's going to pick me. I love that. I got a stress fracture playing pickleball with this guy. I don't think he's going to pick me. I'd like to go home and put my phone up and stop doing this. That was like, life is too short at this stage for BS. I've, I've realized what the deal is. I'm going to leave. Now, with that said, it is fun to me that you still, certain things about this show still are exactly the same. There is this one pair of women, Kathy and Teresa, who had this yes, kind yes. of back and forth yes. because Teresa kept coming and saying like, oh, I had this wonderful day with him and he kissed me and it was what? And Kathy, <laughs> who is more the way I think I would be, yes. was like, I don't need to hear all about your kiss with this guy that I'm also hoping zip to it, Zip it. <laughs> Just zip it. And there was this real kind of back and forth between them because she kept kind of saying, I don't want to hear all the details of your dates with him. And Teresa would be like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I understand. Um, He put his arm around me and it was just so magical. (laughs) And then would go on to overshare again. You could kind of see Kathy just continuously being like, what is (laughs) – what are you doing? There is still some – a fair amount of manipulation in even – this season of The Bachelor. You know, I always think of it as Lord of the Flies with sequins, um, that they Mm -hmm. are very, you know, they're all dressed up and they're fabulous and that they've still, there's still a lot of high school-y stuff going on. And this particular thing with Kathy and Teresa really just rubbed me the wrong way. You know, (laughs) Kathy taking her aside saying, listen, this makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, This is what it feels like from my side. I wish you wouldn't do it. Teresa cries and says, oh, I, you know, I had no idea. I certainly didn't mean to be boastful. Says, well, I'm telling you that and now we can go on and do whatever. 
And what does she do? She turns around and goes and tells Gary, oh, well, I had this little falling out. It was, it's so high school. And it's like, oh, you're off my list. You have been X'd off. As much as there are all kinds of tropes and, and silly things about the way television presents people who are maybe over 40, let alone over 60, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's that they're sort of settled and they know everything and they're foundationally different from 20-year-olds in the sense that, like, they have accumulated wisdom and all that stuff. I kind of like the fact that there's that there is still like a little bit of like pettiness in them. <laughs> I guess I think the difference is like I look at those two women and I'm like they're both going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, Kathy's going to be fine. She wasn't like <laughs> sobbing in the car when he sent her home. She was like, mm, that was annoying. Anyway, <laughs> and I think she'll be fine. It was a good send off. She didn't look like she was broken by his sending her home. I haven't seen anybody who really looks broken by yeah. his rejection. You know what I mean? I think that's one of my favorite things about this season. First of all, I think he is a person who has either acquired or always had an ability to be basically gracious with people. As a partial result, you have people going home who are not necessarily shattered. There's like one person weeping in a limo where I'm like, this woman would very much like to murder whoever is pointing a camera at her right now and Mm -hmm. really needs to be left alone. But in general, I, I appreciated the fact, and one of the things that's kind of feel good about this season is the number of people who get sent home and what they say at the end is not, this was my last chance. It was, I think I'm ready to do this again. Mm -hmm. I felt feelings I haven't felt in a while, and I wasn't sure if I was going to get to experience that again. And and I think that's one of the things that I have really liked on Balance about this season, including what what both of you were alluding to with even some of the conflicts between them, is like... There are differences between dating in your 60s and 70s and dating in your 20s and 30s, but there are also similarities. And you just you can be just as awkward. You can be just as put off by somebody. You can be just as hurt. You can be just as embarrassed. Like all that stuff, all that stuff is still within us, no matter how old we get. I've, I've kind of embraced this season in ways that I didn't necessarily expect to. I think my one, my one, the one place where this season has not completely clicked for me. And this is, listen, this is all great. You hate Gary. Just admit it. You hate Gary. My (laughs) argument is not The Bachelor is good now. Right, no. My argument is more (laughs) The Bachelor is less bad in this incarnation. This is an anomaly. Exactly. But Stephen, believe it or not, I, I was going to say, Gary is not, to me, a particularly compelling presence. <laughs> I, I said he's nice. He seems like a he seems like a very nice man. He also seems to me like a little bit of a stiff. And so the fact that all the women came in just like, oh, he's so charming. He's so wonderful. So I sort of thought like, I mean, I would like to see him be like a tiny bit more fun than mm-hmm. this. He seems... He's exceptionally earnest. He's very earnest. He's so earnest. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was really afraid when they announced this that the whole thing was going to be about like, oh, I I I can't believe that I at my old old age <laughs> I have any interest in date. Like I was afraid it was going to be a lot of jokes. Yeah. And jokes about old people and jokes about your bones turning to dust and all that stuff. There's the one woman who said in the credits when they were talking, she was talking about the rose ceremony, and she said, the people here are like 70 years old. Give us chairs for the rose ceremony. <laughs> Guys, do the rose ceremony and chairs. You have people in here 60, 70, and above. Do the rose ceremony and the chairs. 
They have chair yoga. They have chair exercise. They have chair aerobics. Chair rose ceremony. Don't have a standing waiting to get or not get a rose. Let us sit down while you make up your mind. She was totally right. She is great (laughs) and funny. And she's not wrong. (laughs) She's not wrong. And it's a funny bit. But it's really restrained how much of that there is. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot that's about the frailties and difficulties from a physical perspective of aging. It's much more about, as Stephen was talking about, the kind of different emotional concerns that you have when you have been through grief or you have been through, you know, divorce. I'm going to be really curious to see how having Gary meet people's kids turns out. Um, which is always a, a trope of the show, and and how they handle the, I'm assuming and hoping that the overnight dates are going to be handled the same way they usually are to to understand that, you know, Gary and his the women that he's picking from still care about sex and they still care about being attracted to people and, you know, whatever they decide to do or not do, I hope it'll be handled exactly the same sort of vaguely uncomfortable way that it always is. <laughs> Well, we do see a lot of kissing, and I have to say Mm -hmm. I've been looking at um, sort of fan and viewer response to that, and there is a lot from younger people who are like, ah, would they stop it with the open mouth kissing? That's just gross. Stop it. Stop it. It's like, kids, how do you think you got here? (laughs) Um, But but it's I, I sort of get it. It's not necessarily because... Gary in the 22, now down to three, who he's kissed a lot, um, are older. But it's because I think some people want something left to the imagination. You know, a lot of television doesn't leave very much to the imagination anymore. And I think that this is so heavily imbued with the notion of romance, finding romance, finding love, that the sex is almost secondary, although sex is obviously an important component. So I think that's some of this. It's like, just back off a little bit. There aren't a lot of people of any age who I want to watch tongue kissing on television. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Particularly untrained people. <laughs> untrained. <laughs> untrained people. Where do you get the training? Your, your untrained <laughs> tongue kissing is not necessarily something I want to watch on television, no matter what your age is. But I think if you... If you leave it in when the guy's 30, you got to leave it in when the guy's 70. The other thing that I think is really interesting about this is that nobody out of all of these women that Gary's considering, none of them live like anywhere near him. So it's like you're going through all this. How's this supposed to end? He's built his dream house. I appreciated that they introduced him as living in Indiana, USA. Which is like (laughs) the most Hollywood way of thinking about the Midwest. You know, and people have given up so much to do this. They had one contestant who missed her daughter's wedding on purpose. And the daughter encouraged her, she said, to go and participate in this competition, this great experiment. Because she said, Well, I have my man. I have the love of my life. You need to go find yours. And she went. It's like, how often does your kid get married? I'm, And then she got eliminated, but she went all the way up to the fifth episode. So yeah. it was a good run for her, but she missed an important moment in her child's life that's not going to come back. 
Another woman was not there for her grandchild's birth and decided later on she was going to leave because her daughter had had a very difficult delivery and was having a hard time Mm -hmm. afterwards. And Mm -hmm. she said to Gary, look, you know, this is what adulting is. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you just got to go be a parent. And that's what I'm going to go do. I loved my time with you, but I love my family more and I got to go. I appreciated that about this, though. I mean, I'm reminded Mm -hmm. of something that Linda once said about Big Brother. One of the problems with it is that it's cast almost entirely with people who won't be missed by by society. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, and but like the fact that these people all have lives and responsibilities, and in a couple cases go home to tend to loved ones Mm -hmm. or deal with their lives in some way, I, I appreciate a brush with reality on a show like this, such a big part of why this format doesn't usually work Mm -hmm. to actually put lasting couples together is that you've, you assemble this ridiculous fantasy where you're spending all your time sipping champagne on yachts. And then you go back to, you know, Indiana and, and like, and live out your, live out your life untelevised. Um, It's, it's very different. And so I like it when, when real life encroaches on this show, because you're reminded that like these people, these people, have stuff going on. I want to watch people right. who have stuff going on. It kind of made me want to root for one of the people who left to go home. It's like, oh, maybe Gary will call her later, see how she is, and it'll start up yeah. as opposed to all these people who are still here. Similar things have happened in the past. <laughs> Similar things oh. have happened in the past. All right. Well, we want to know what you think about The Golden Bachelor. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. Karen Grigsby Bates, thank you so much for being here. Such a pleasure. So before we go, we didn't want to let this week go by without taking a minute to remember the actor Matthew Perry. He died of an apparent drowning at his home on Saturday, although as of this taping, the medical examiner has not confirmed the cause of death. Uh, He was 54. Uh, Matthew Perry was probably best known for playing Chandler Bing on Friends. And Linda, I know you watched Friends a lot and wanted to share some thoughts. Yeah, I I do. This one hit pretty hard for me. I don't think I'm alone in that. You know, Friends is just huge to a lot of people, and it has been for almost 30 years. And while it's so well-known now and the cast has been so famous for so long, the interesting thing is that they were mostly pretty low profile when it when it started. Matthew Perry was a guy who certainly I had seen. He had kind of bounced around and done a lot of guest appearances on shows. He had been one of Carol's boyfriends on Growing Pains. He was on an episode of Beverly Hills 90210 in a very kind of melodramatic story. But when he started playing Chandler, they found this match of the jokes that the writers liked to write with his delivery. And it is not an exaggeration to say this character really was something of a, of a sensation. Yeah. In fact, one of the first things that you heard in the opening minutes of the show was Chandler telling this story about a dream that he had. I realize I am totally naked. Then I look down and I realize there is a phone there. All of a sudden, the phone starts to ring. And it turns out it's my mother, which is very, very weird because... She never calls me. And that whole business, the pause that he puts between, is very, very weird because she never calls me. It, this is the delivery that he had. This is the rhythm they got into with him. It was a very particular cadence. It remained one of the show's major weapons for as long as it was on. And after Friends, although he certainly never found that same level of of fame, not that he necessarily was looking for that, he did do other good work. He was on the West Wing. Yeah. Uh, he did have other sitcoms, one of which 
was a, a good show called Go On, in which he played a guy who was attending a grief support group. When you sit here listening to someone else's problems, you may smile and nod, but he's right. A big part of you is thinking, my thing's worse than your thing. Am I right? Now, we're going to go head to head. You got five seconds to tell your sob story. Winners advance. We go a couple of rounds and we know once and for all who rules the land. Are you in? And the other thing that's so interesting about Matthew Perry to me is that over the course of Friends, he had a lot of health problems, a lot of which were connected to addiction. It was very visible on television. It kind of played out publicly. His weight fluctuated a lot. Sometimes he looked really healthy. Sometimes he very much didn't. And just last year, he published a memoir called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. And the big terrible thing is addiction. He spent a lot of time in the later years of his life trying to help people who dealt with addiction. He was very candid about his own experiences in the hopes that that would be meaningful to others. And that's that's kind of the best outcome for somebody who has had a hard road in that particular way. So it's just a very sad loss. He was very talented and very funny. And I think he tried very hard to make the best of some extraordinarily tough circumstances. So he will be very, very much missed. Yeah, I agree completely. And as like you, Linda, I'm kind of similar age to Matthew Perry, and it feels a little bit it feels a little bit like losing a generational peer on top of everything else. And it's it's mm-hmm. it's extraordinarily sad. I, I agree completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll miss him terribly. Uh, that does bring us to the end of our show. This episode was produced by Liz Metzger and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.